0: Okay, Parshas Vayera. Now, I think that we have an expert in in this Parsha here with us tonight. Uh, Orly, she spent a long time learning this Parsha, so um, you know, Orly, if you would uh, like to pipe in with your own ideas, they would be very much appreciated. Um, okay. <laughs> so, although okay. Some- a lot of them in the in your in your dvar Torah for this week. Okay, so I want to just start with the beginning of the parsha and as Orly knows we've done exhaustively to look a little bit at the story of the three angels of Avram and Sarah and of the reactions of Avram and Sarah and mm-hmm. to point out a couple of things and then let's move to the story of stone so the parsha starts off with the three angels. So, uh, Paul, or, or do you mind reading the first, the first few verses? Sure. So, like until um, uh, until I would say, um, oh, sorry, uh, you know what? Until pasuk uh, uh twelve, until pasukibase.
1: Hashem appeared to him in the plains of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, three men were standing over him. He perceived, so he ran toward them from the entrance of the tent and bowed toward the ground. And he said, My Lord, if I find favor in your eyes now, please pass not away from your servant. Let some water be brought and wash your feet and recline beneath the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread that you may sustain yourselves, and then go on inasmuch as you have passed your servant's way. They said, do so just as you have said. So Abraham hastened to the te- to Sarah and said, hurry, three sayas of meal, fine flour, knead and make cakes. And Abraham read, ran to the cattle, took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the youth who hurried to prepare it. He took cream and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed these before them he stood over them beneath the tree as they ate they said to him where is Sarah your wife and he said behold in the tent and he said i will surely return to you at this time next year and behold Sarah your wife will have a son now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him now Abraham and Sarah were old well on in years the manner of women had ceased to be with Sarah and Sarah laughed at herself saying, after I have withered, shall I again have delicate skin and my husband is old.
0: Okay. So let's pause for a second. Right? So we have this, this image, we have the three angels, they come, they don't look like angels. They look like regular Bedouins or people who are traveling, wherever they are. And they come and they sit by Avram and Avram invites them in and they tell Avram, you're, ha- you're going to have a child, and Sarah laughs. And then Hashem gets annoyed, seemingly talks to Avram, as we're going to see in Apostle 13, 14, 15. He gets upset. He talks to Sarah. Sorry, talks to Avram. Avram seemingly has a conversation with Sarah. She denies it. And this is the story that we all know. There's a bunch of issues with this story. The first is, if you look at the very, very first Pasuk, and this is something that the Rambam is very busy with, and the Rambam has a long, very long piece of uh, Rambam over here that it, should you be interested or would love to go through with you. We spent a good few weeks on it. And the, the, what the Rambam is jumping on over here is that if you look at the very first verse, it says, I love Hashem. Hashem appears to him, then vayisa ina and then it says the whole story. What normally, whenever it says vayerei l'avashem, Hashem is appearing to him for a reason and telling him something, right? Vayerei l'avashem, vayomer, whatever. You know, it's taleich lof anai or whatever. there's, this Hashem appears for a reason. Over here, Hashem appears, but we have no idea why. So Rashi famously says, it was the third day after his Gris Hashem appears to him on this most difficult day of recovery to visit the sick. And that's why Rashi, this is how Rashi deals with the fact that Hashem doesn't tell him anything, because Hashem is just there to be a comforting presence. In addition, it seems that Hashem's presence is there throughout the story, because this is why... Hashem is, you know, there right away to criticize Sarah once she, once she laughs and Avram goes and talks to her and there's a contradiction and, and, and all that. The Rambam says, this can't be. What's happening over here is that this is all a vision. That these three angels are a vision and it's saying, Hashem be, then the vision starts. What was the Vayere of Hashem? What was the nature of the vision? This is all a vision. And none of this actually happens. So the Rambam, the Ramban, asks a lot of very, kind of, I think, very, very reasonable questions on the Rambam. He says, okay, fine. Let's say this is a vision. This seems to be a very strange vision that you don't normally find any other visions like this. Somehow in this vision, Avram is running around, he's preparing food, he's talking to Sar about baking bread. It's, they seem to be working really, really hard in this vision. In addition, like what's, the, what's the point of all that? That wasn't Normally you have a vision, you see an image, you see something, there's some, some kind of revelation, but this whole image, I mean, this is like a movie. The other, the other point which the, which the Rambam asks, he says, when does this vision end? Because the Parsha contains the narrative of the angels all the way until they reach stone. So was the destruction of stone a vision? No, the Rambam doesn't say that. Nobody says that. In fact, the Rambam wants to say whenever angels appear to people in the Torah, he appears it's just a vision. It's something which is, which is a nevuah, it's a prophecy. It's a different type of prophecy, the Rambam wants to say, according to, to the Ramban. And the Ramban is very bothered by this, he says, because, he says, look how many unworthy people meet the angels. The entire city of stone meets the angels. Lot meets the angels. People who are not worthy of prophecy meet the angels. And we have all these different stories when Yaakov fights with the, with the angel by the river and he dislocates his hip, right? Did that also happen in the vision or a prophecy? It says that Yaakov was limping. It says, why I mean, can't he get anasha. So what happens? He slipped and fell while he had a vision. I mean, so the Ramban is very, very dismissive of, of this. And, but Ramban ends up saying something that's very difficult to understand. He starts talking a little bit mystically. And he says that there seems to be a difference between when angels manifest in the, in the form of Malach and when they manifest in the form of Ish. Of a person. And when they manifest in the form of Ish is when they kind of try to merge or don human garb, they try to appear as humans, and that's a different type of manifestation than when they appear as a malach. And we see revelation of malach, let's say, when it comes to Hagar, right, uh, where it says, uh, you know, uh malach Hashem, we see, you know, it in a few other places, and Ish we see um, with regards to uh, Ya'akov ishimo, right, we see the, the term ish by Yosef, and Yosef is, is uh, looking for his brothers, uh, right, That he finds the ish, which the Midrashim right is really referring to the angel Gavriel. So there are there are two ways how angels manifest, and with ish, they in some sense take on certain human characteristics. And we're going to see this because the angels over here begin to act with some agency. They have to appear to be eating. They take on certain human qualities. The one question which we have to ask is, when did Avram figure out that they're angels? There is never this moment of revelation when Avram was like, oh my gosh, I thought you guys were... Um, I thought, I thought that you guys were Arabs or whatever, walking people, whatever you call them. Um, uh, like why, why, when did you, when, you know, when does Abraham recognize that they're angels that when they tell him he has a child, you know, he's incredibly happy and Sarah is so terrible for being dismissive and when does this happen? So it's not clear in the text at all. When, when does, when does this, this transition happen? Also, but Hashem, when it says that Hashem talks to Avram, right, and he says um, that why that why does Sarah laugh? The so who was it? I believe it was the Cheskudi says that it wasn't actually referring to Hashem over here himself. It is referring to one of the angels who says this. And that it is just using the language of Hashem, right? As as the angel that is in charge of the mission, right? Rabenu uh, Rabenu says. Rabenu B'chaya says that that when it said um, that when it says Hashem, it's the angel in charge. And this we actually find in the Ramban in a few places that the term Hashem refers to an angel who is acting as a representative of God's will. And if you kind of want to get, you know, deep and confused into theology, there's long discussions about the angel Matatatron, um, who is an agent of God's will in this world. And sometimes he's called Elohim or Hashem in different places. And this is something which is known. But, but it does make the narrative much easier to understand because Avron doesn't just take a sidebar with God. The Hashem is referring to the angel in charge. And the angel in charge is the one who challenges Sarah, and you'll realize is that Sarah is standing behind them. They don't see Sarah, so he may have heard Sarah laughing or whatever it was. But but you know here there's a conversation with the angels, and you'll see something very interesting if we go down. Um, and if you look at the at the pasuk of uh, sixteen. So Advara, you mind do you mind reading sixteen? Uh,
1: and the men rose up from thence and looked out
0: towards Sodom, And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I, should I carry on? Yeah, yeah, please a little bit more. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that which I'm doing, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him to the end that he may command his children and his household after him. That they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice to the end that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which has, he has spoken of him. Okay, right so it says that, that Avram that Avram, Avram in Pesach 16 it says Avram goes with them to walk them out. A bunch of commentaries including the Cheskuni and many others says, Avram did this because they were his guests and he walked them out as a gesture of politeness. And a bunch of them make it very clear that Avram still thinks they're human. At this point, Avram still thinks that they're Arabs. And then all of a sudden, we have this very interesting shift. Is that normally we think of Sarah, right? Sarah is this one who's, you know, her, her level of prophecy is higher than Avram. She's much more, you know, connected to God than Avram, right? Yet Sarah laughs when she hears a prophecy and Abraham believes. And when you think of Abraham as perceiving or Sarah as perceiving these people as, as angels it's very difficult. Sarah was well aware of angels. She was familiar about the notion of a god who can do miracles. So why is she laughing? God tells her you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child. The reason is, is because Sarah and Abraham never knew they were human. Sorry, never knew they were angels. Throughout this entire episode, they didn't know this. So now, in a way, the difficult one is Avram. You know, you have three dusty Bedouins show up at your door, you feed them, and they do the, yeah, Bruchus, you're going to have a child. Yeah, you're going to have a child. So normally, you know, you smile politely, a little bit, you know, annoyed at their tone deafness, a little bit, right? But, I mean, come on. <laughs> like, who are these people? You know, they're socially off people who are giving you blessings, whatever. And Sarah Sarah is, and that's how Sarah reacts to that. She laughs. She's like, okay, you know. And inside of her, she's like dying to believe it. But she's like, I mean, come on. Like, I'm old. My husband's old. This is not going to happen. And, you know, who are these three people coming in here and telling me these types of things? And Avram, for some reason, believes this. And he believes it to the extent that when one of them criticizes Sarah, Avram takes it as Hashem talking to Avram, takes it very seriously. Avram says, Like, Sarah, why are you laughing? And here I think we have this fascinating uh, split screen moment a little bit, where two people share the same experience but process it so differently. And there's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara talks about Avram and Sarah as two very different people. Avram was midas achesed. Avram was very kind, he was very charitable, he loved having guests, he loved giving over. Sarah, it says, was midas ha She was more justice, she was a little bit more rigid, she was not as into chesed as Avram, but on the other hand, right, when Avram went too far with his chesed, like the story with Hagar and the story with these things, is that Sarah put her foot down. And there was this relationship between chesed and din, which exists in everywhere, exists you know in creation, every, and Avram and Sarah both were just embodied these two different qualities. Avram was chesed, his home was always open, and Sarah helped him out. Sarah was involved, but but in the, the, but the gemara says that ultimately Sarah was more mitzvah more about justice, more about what was correct and right, and not so worried necessarily about chesed. And therefore, when these three strangers walk in and sit down, Avram, everywhere he looks, he's able to see God. Avram hears three people talking, three random strangers. He doesn't, he's not cynical, Avram. He doesn't necessarily believe that these guys are, but something, they said something good. Avram's like, why laugh? Like this could be this could be true, this could be real. You know, God talks through all things, right? There there's you know, there, there's no reason to be cynical about the world.
1: This is why is this why it says that suddenly in the middle of the interaction between the Malachim and 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 Avram, suddenly it's Hashem talking to Avram?
0: Exactly. Avram hears God here. Right. Right. And even though, as the Sfarner says and the Chizkuni says, it was the angels talking to him, it wasn't Hashem. He didn't have a vision, right? And it wasn't a sidebar like it sounds like from the original of La yeah, 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 yeah. Avram really just, he, he, he heard these people and he thought they were people, as we pointed out, until the very end of the episode. And still, Avram believes it. It doesn't mean that he necessarily said, oh my gosh, these people said it's for sure going to happen, but he's like, why are you laughing? We could have heard something today, but Sarah is also very understandable. Sarah is all this pain, all these years, and three tone deaf people come in and start talking about it. So she, she was being She wasn't so romantic and charitable about the world like Avram was. And she said, If Hashem wants to do a miracle, Hashem will come, Hashem will do a miracle. We have to listen to every single Meshachana who tells us, you know, Emir to Hashem by you. I remember I had a friend who, he didn't get married for, for, for a while. And he told me that the, the worst, like the thing that gets him, the, like people can say all sorts of insensitive things, but the thing that hurt him the most was every time he went to a wedding, you know, his friends and family were all married, turning to him and saying, okay, Emir Tz Sham by you, you know, God willing, but you as well should be this, and you know, they, everyone means well and they mean well, but like, you know, it's not a pleasant feeling. So, you know, Sarah, we don't blame Sarah. We understand Sarah. Sarah was wrong. And why was Sarah wrong? Sarah was wrong because you have somebody, you have to be able to, if you are firm and believing that Hashem, who promised them children, will deliver, you have to be able to see this in uh, in every corner. And we see a very similar thing with Moshe. It says, when Moshe was walking in the desert, he sees the burning bush. And then the verse says a very funny thing. It says, hashem kisar And Hashem looks turned to see that Moshe stopped to look. And then it says, Vayom ha-shem And the Mepharshan, the Sfarno over there says, and I think other Sfarun over there say that, Hashem waited to see if Moshe will stop to look. And the question you have to ask is like, okay, so Moshe saw a burning bush in the desert. So he stopped to look. It was an interesting occurrence. What does it have to do with him being a leader of the Jewish people? And we've said this in the past, right? That the idea was, was that what Moshe, the reason why Moshe stopped to look was because he was obsessed with the suffering of the Jewish people. And everywhere he looked, he tried to see sign or some message or something about it because this was on his heart. Avram Hashem's promise, the promise of children, belief in the fact that Hashem will make miracles for him was so obvious and so certain that everywhere he heard, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, of course I'm going to have kids, right? And for Sarah, it wasn't that way. And Hashem come, maybe because Hashem didn't speak to her directly, whatever it is, but even though she had a higher level of prophecy, this was something that Sarah was not able to do. And because of this, she was she was criticized. Um, Okay, so let's move on to stone, and we notice over here. So in the so in the very first verses of stone, right of the story of stone, so we see that there's a, there's a few a few interesting things. It says, "Vayomer Hashem," right? Uh, sorry, "VHashem Amar," and Hashem says. Rashi, the Ramban say Hashem said to himself, and there is this famous discussion. What does it mean, Hashem, talking to himself? Yes, I do it because. My my sanity is slipping away slowly but surely. But but why you know why is Hashem talking to himself? What's this notion of Hashem Omar? The other, the other point over there it says, he says, Avram mm-hmm. How could I hide from Avram what I'm doing? Then why? And Avram will be a great nation and a strong nation, and all the nations of the world will, will be blessed through him. Ki Yadati, because I know,. So why? Because I know that this is something that he will be instructing his children and his family after him to watch the ways of God, to do tzedakah and mishpat. Why? In order that Hashem should bring on Avram, es hasher di Now, what's fascinating over here is that this puzzle doesn't flow. Right? First of all, why is Hashem telling Avram this? Right? It seems that the first reason, right, how can I cover this up from Hashem? Why? Because Avram will be this big nation and everybody will be blessed through him. Okay. Why is that a reason why Hashem has to tell him about the destruction of stone? Then, Then and also, I know, right, that I'm telling him this in order that he should be able to command his family and his children and everybody after them, that they should watch the ways of God to do righteousness and justice. Leman, in order, havi Hashem al-Avram et hasher di bar Leman havi Hashem al-Avram? This is, i from talking, yeah, he's not a rapper. He's not talking in third person about, right, about himself, right? And also, he's directing his children. It's, you know, it's not super, I mean, I'm not going to lie that I've done this to my kids, right, but it's not super effective parenting to you tell your kid, behave so that I should be happy, or I should be good, or I should have great things, right? It's tempting, but it doesn't work so well, <laughs> right? Because you're relying on your kid's goodwill, which does not get into, you know, which is uh, only, only goes so far. Right. What it should say is Leman Havi Al Savra. Right. Or on. Right. Uh. Or on his children. Why does it say Leman Havi Hashem al Avram Tashar Di So, if you, if you look through the commentary commentaries over here, you see a fascinating idea. Hashem at this point is really taking the name Av Hamon Goyim seriously. Avram gets this name three days ago. Right, he had his bris, and he goes from being the Av aram, Avram, Avram, aram the leader, the father of uh, Avram, where he was from, and Hashem changes it to Av Hamon Goyim. Right, if you recall, that's why he adds the Hey Ki Av Hamon Avram is t- given responsibility as a father for the entire world. Therefore, Hashem is about to mete out justice on Avram's children. Of course, he has to tell him. He has to tell him he has to give Avram to plead a chance to plead for the people of stone. This is Avram's responsibility. And then it says an additional thing, because why do I have to give Avram this opportunity? Because look at what I've look at the privilege I've given Avram. Avram is going to be a great nation through whom everybody will be blessed. Meaning Avram is the one who he has to take responsibility for stone. This is why I am giving him all this. This is why I'm giving him all these blessings is because of the fact that he is Avraham. And also, because when Avram does this and he prays and he's aware of the story of stone, this gives Avram an ability to go talk to his children and his family about the importance of tzedakah u Why? Because what does Sodom get destroyed for? It gets destroyed for ignoring tzedakah u And therefore, not only is it important for Avram to plead on behalf of Sodom, it's also important for Avram as a pedagogue to be able to use the experience of Sodom to be able to instruct his family. And what it says, the Rashi says the fascinating thing. The reason why it says Avram and not Beis Avram, actually, I'm not sure if it's, if it's Rashi. I forget if it's Rashi. Uh, well, Orly and I saw it, saw it inside. Instead of saying Beis Avram, it says Avram because it says that a, a father or a mother that teaches their children and gives them the correct values lives on after they die. Their family and their legacy of their, they are alive for their children even many years after, after they die. And that's why it's referring to Avram's descendants as Avram. Because if he's effective in instructing them, then he will live on with them. That's the Avram. Okay? Now, what, what's interesting over here, also, is that if you look, it says, right? Do you read Pasuk Chav, Pasuk 20? Um, let me see what it is. Uh, no. no. no uh um uh herman are you are you with us uh you're in uh number chapter two
1: yeah yeah
0: so we're, we're well, chapter 18 verse 20 oh herman and, and, <clears throat> yeah i heard it martora today when i heard it i said i have to tell it to you because you would i think you would, you would appreciate it okay uh, this is uh the second aliyah yeah uh verse 20 right First, why have a Herman Herman second? Uh, before, before I read the verse, I want to tell you this, this, this that I heard today from Ramosha Shapiro. Fascinating. To me, I, I don't, I can't wrap my mind around it exactly, but I, but I thought that you would like it. So it says that there, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, Arizal, the Arizal writes, right? There's a famous Talmudic passage in Erevin. That after Avra, that after uh, Adam sins, after after Adam sins, right? He leaves Chava, and then he goes, and from him at that point are born all sorts of demons, whatever that means, right? And the Rambam in Mordehavuchim writes that these were humans that were not were 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 low misukan, they were not fixed, whatever that means, and the Ariza writes that what it, what it means is, is that there were people who were not able to have a tick on there are people who were not able to be productive in the world That there were people who um who had something wrong with their with their <laughs> souls rod and they were evil and they were not able to have a tikkun. and these and their souls according to this whatever this means have a gilgal they reincarnate first in the generation of the flood So he says there are three destructions in Bracious the Flood, the Tower of Babel, and the Story of Stone. He says first that they reincarnate in the Flood, then they reincarnate again in the Story of Babel, and they finally reincarnate in the Story of Stone. And he says that in in each three, in in each case, they exemplify a different evil trait, a different trait that could be used for good in an evil way, right? So in the story of the Mabal, they, they, they use kind of immorality, right? The power of sexuality in a wrong way. By the story of the Darha Flaga, they use the power of unity in the wrong way. And the story of Stone, right? A lot of the evil of Stone was that they perverted justice, right? By claiming to be very into justice and fairness, they in fact perverted it. So they, so they destroyed tzaddik and Emes. And he says, what was their final reincarnation? and this blew my mind because I have a hard time wrapping work, right, was the 600,000 Jews who left Egypt. And finally, at that point, they got it right. So I didn't have a chance to listen to to finish the whole lecture. For my Shapiro, I was listening to it uh, in the car on the way here. And um, I was like, I don't know what's happening here. I have to listen to more, but I thought that, 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 uh, you, that you would be interested in it.
2: Yes. You know, um, Adam, Adam was separated from Chava for 130 years, right, I believe. Right. And he, the, the progeny was dysfunctional souls. Exactly. There were, there, were, there were Shedim, there were demons. Right. And he did produce um, what you might call dysfunctional souls without Tikkun.
0: Right, and, and, and the reason I was saying is that these are, eventually, these souls end up in the Jews who leave Egypt, and they're fixed.
2: Well, fixing is the whole key, isn't it? What? Fixing. I mean, correction.
0: Yeah, 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 that's the whole point, but it's fascinating, right? It's that, the, that, that we kind of think of the entire Jewish people, right, as coming from from Chava, right? At least the souls is coming from Chava. I, I've idea what's going on over here, but you know, this is a pretty,
2: you know, interesting. Well, you know, the key, the key to it all is the is the Nachash, mm-hmm. who, um, from what I understand, actually did have relations with Chava, right? And there was a whole, like, generation of other entities, you might say, mm-hmm. that came from that. But at the same time, Adam calls her the mother of all. Life form. Im called high, right? The mother of all life. So, mm-hmm. there had to be some good. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, so it's a, so I, you know, all I all, so no, all all I recognize the case. So here's something else that I don't know about, right? So, all right. So so let's go. So so Herman, if you don't mind reading pasuk pasuk twenty and uh, twenty through twenty-two.
2: Okay. God then said, the outcry against Saddam is so great and their sin is so very grave, I will descend and see. Have they done everything implied by the outcry that is coming before me? If not, I will know. The men turned from where they were and headed towards Sodom. Avraham was still standing before God. Okay, so let's pause for a second.
0: The Pasuk says, the Pasuk It says, "Hayomer hashem (laughs) Za'akas Sidaira ki Rava. Right? Zaakas. The cry. The crying of Saddom and Amora because it's a lot. Now, one would one would think, right? The I guess the basic straightforward explanation over here is that what is the screaming of sodom va Amora? It means the victims of like the people who suffer because of the people in sodom and Amora. Right? That it's not, and if you think about it right. I think in popular culture, there is this vision of Stone as this hedonistic, you know, kind of Baccalian enterprise, right? That it's just like everyone doing all sorts of immorality and whatever and just a party. That's not, this, that, that's not Stome. That's not what Stone is really characterized as. Stone is characterized as an extreme version of a gated community. That and I'm sorry if anyone lives in a gay community. I don't mean to criticize them. I just mean to say, it's this it's this idea, right, that these are people who we live, they were very wealthy, they're very elitist, we live a certain way, we do, sing this, do, do things a certain way, right, and there's the midrashim of Lot's daughter or niece, I forget, who gives a poor person food, and then they cover, they strip her naked, they cover her in honey, and they put her Next to you know a place and where there's a swarm of bees, and she gets stung to death and, and, and she dies. and this is what Zakas, Sedom, Valmora, and whether or not you know, however we are to understand the story, right, the idea is very understandable, right? <clears throat> By getting charity, you're bringing beggars here, you're encouraging people to seek unemployment, right all sorts of different things. And I don't want to you know get political, but, but the, 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 the idea is right is that the excesses of stone were excesses in this area, right? This certain kind of evil, their evil was, was, was not in immorality in the sense of, you know, just you know, promiscuity or whatever it is. That wasn't weird. It was in their interpersonal relationships. It was in how they felt that they were entitled to all sorts of things and they had to live a certain way and this was stone. And there is this, and the question which you have to ask is, what is what is zakas sedom vamor? What's this crying? So one explanation given is 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 this you know is is the is the crying of the of the victims, but it doesn't read that well because zakas sedom vamor" implies the actual crying and screaming of and Amor. but they weren't crying and screaming; they were they were cheering and washing their cars on a Sunday afternoon, right? They, they weren't, you know, they they weren't they weren't what were they screaming about? The Ibn Azra says a fascinating thing. He says, Zaakas Sedom Vamor is referring to their sins. That that means the sins of sedom and, and this is very hard to understand because the term Zaakas, we see it in other places in the Torah, primarily when the Jews are crying out from pain. So the word vayitzaku and vayizaku have the same meaning. And Right? they cry out from their work, and Hashem here. The same thing, right? That Hashem is very sensitive to the sounds of ze'aka. There's a medrash and there's a discussion that there are 10 languages, there are 10 words used to describe prayer in the Torah. One of these, one of these is uh, ze'aka. Ze'aka is considered to be one of the languages of Tfila, but it's a very unique type of prayer. It's one where the person does not intend to ask or pray. It's one where the person screams out in pain and Hashem hears it and listens to it. So it's fascinating. It's a certain prayer that is where your pain moves God, and even without asking for anything. And the question is, how does the term zakah apply to sins or apply to these people, right? So that's very difficult to understand. I don't have a great explanation right the this this, this interpretation though know, both both explanations are difficult right because talking about their victims is hard to understand because it doesn't read so well and talking about their sins i mean their souls are crying out you know they're in pain so god will pancake them because you know it's it, it, you, know, it, you know to put them to put them out of their misery I, I, it sounds it sounds strange i remember i was a while ago i was listening to npr and uh, they had this contest where you had to say a horror story, and like, no, I was like a short movie um, competition for horror movies before Halloween or something. I don't know. So they were having this interview about it, and the, the one so the, the the person in charge of the project described one of them that freaked me out. I was like, I was like, how come on? How could I think the, the movie couldn't be more than five minutes long or something? I was like, how could you make a horror movie in five minutes? Okay, you have a slaughterhouse or something. big okay, deal. No, 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 no what what skill but it was tremendous skill one of them was you see the family gathered around a little pit in their backyard and the son little boy is crying and the father's telling him you know there's a little picture of a dog bone on the grave and the father's telling him you know listen Mikey he wasn't feeling well this was really best for him right he wasn't feeling well this was best for him you know he he, you know, he, he's much happier now. Next scene, you hear the baby crying and the mother walking out of the room saying, oh, this baby, whatever his name is, I don't know, Jack. Jack's really feeling sick. And you see the boy look up and an interest, and he gets an expression on his face and the clip ends. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that was that was a work of genius, I thought <laughs> that was a work of genius, I thought either way, something like Hashem hears them you know crying and he, he's much better this way. Let me rain some sulfur and ash and fire and destroy and, and wipe them out it's, you know it's hard it's hard to understand what's this term of zakka, uh, and if you look in the very next verse, it says the same thing, right He doesn't look at the evil, right in other places, we see Hashem. Coming down to look at the evil. Right? So by the case of the Dar HaFlag, it says Hashem comes down to see what humanity did. But over here again, what Hashem is coming down for is to look at haketzaka asa ha Eli asu. Did they really do like what this crying sounds like? Right? Hashem goes to look again, it's everything is being motivated by this crying, by this, by this uh tz'aka which is hard to understand. So I, I don't have a great explanation. I was looking around some more. Maybe Orly will write, will write, will write about this for her Martar. Okay. So let's just cover a little, bit, a little bit more ground. And let's look at Avram's conversation with Hashem. So Herman, if you don't mind uh, uh, continuing reading for a few more verses.
2: Uh, t- starting with 23? Yeah. Uh, okay. He came forward and said, Will you actually wipe out the innocent together with the guilty? Suppose there are 50 innocent people in the city. Would you still destroy it and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 good people inside it? It would be sacrilege even to ascribe such an act to you, to kill the innocent with the guilty, letting the righteous and the wicked fare alike. It would be sacrilege to ascribe this to you shall the whole world's judge not act justly? God said, if I find 50 innocent people in Sodom, I will spare the entire area for their sake. Avraham spoke up and said, I have already said too much before my Lord. I am mere dust and ashes. But suppose that there are five missing from the 50 innocent. Would you destroy the entire city because of the five? I will not destroy it if I find 45 there, replied God. Avraham persisted and said, suppose there are 40 there. I will not act for the sake of the 40. Let not my Lord be angry, but I must speak up. What if there are 30 there? I will not act if I find 30 there. I have already spoken too much now before my Lord, but what if 20 are found there? I will not destroy for the sake of the 20. Let my Lord not be angry, but I will speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. I will not destroy for the sake of the 10. When he finished speaking with Abraham, God left him. Abraham then returned home.
0: Okay, so here we have a very strange conversation, right? This high stakes negotiation, this Middle Eastern bargaining, right? well, fine, 45, nah, fine. what's going on over here? And over here, I think it's important. Well,
1: And then he goes home.
0: And then he goes home, he gives up at 10 and moves on. Right. And the question is, first of all, why does he stop at 10? And second of all, right, what's happening over here? Hashem, he's accusing Hashem of not being just. Like, what does he think is happening? And over here, we see, I think, I think a fascinating thing is that this is, Hashem comes to tell Avram about the destruction, the commentary that the, the Bali Muslim says Hashem comes to tell Avram to go about the destruction of Stone because Hashem wants to start training him in what it means to be Abhamon Gayat. This is part of what Avram is supposed to do. And Hashem wants Avram to recognize how little it takes for Hashem to withhold punishment. Stone and Ambora are large cities that are doing evil. And Avram, in the beginning, could only imagine Hashem would spare them for 50. Hashem doesn't say, no, 50 is too much. Hashem says, no, there's no 50. And Avram asks again, and Avram asks, and you see in Avram, this like almost surprise at himself, right? Like, how could it be? Until Avram gets to 10, and we'll see why 10 in a second, right? But Avram gets to 10, but it's Avram... Time I can see you. Oh, yeah, why it's always second. Your thoughts, why 10 in a second? Right? But Avram gets to 10, he's being trained by Hashem. Is that Hashem is trying to help him understand how little it takes for him to save? And if you look, Moshe understands this lesson intuitively. All he tells Hashem about is, you know, there'll be a chill Hashem, right? That the Egyptians will say he took him out to kill him, whatever it is. And Hashem spares the Jewish people. Avram is getting a tutorial in activism, right? What how little it takes to do now? Kam come tell us why ten? Because ten is the number of mini. Ten is the number of minion, but 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 Avram was coming from experience. Do you know do you know why ten? That's what Rebbe said so. Oh, okay. So not to contradict your Rebbe, but the Rashi and other people explain the reason why ten is because Avram said what happened at the Mammo? At the Mabel, there was three sons of, ha- of, of Noah, three wives, right? That's six. There was Noah and his wife, right? That's eight. Then it says an interesting thing that, he, that Og survived the Mabel, right? There's this Madrash and he hangs on the back, whatever it is. So there's nine people who are innocent and survive, but the world still gets uh, destroyed. Therefore, the, the kind of, greatest lower bound kind of the lowest upper bound whatever the lowest bound which Avram said was still not tested was 10 that's what that's what commentaries say but, but uh, maybe, maybe a minion also but I, I'm not sure why why a minion one possibility of a minion is that 10 is also the number which you need both men and women actually by kiddush Hashem by the laws of kiddush Hashem is that if someone puts a gun to your head and says you have to desecrate a mitzvah we know you only have to die for the big three. But this is only true if it happens in private. If it happens in public, you have to die for anything. Uh, even if he says to eat a hamburger, a cheeseburger. And what's considered to be public? What's considered to be public is 10 people. Because that's considered to be a robin, a multitude. And therefore, maybe if they have, you know, if, they, if, they, if there's a robin, it's enough. All right. Okay, come me a cheeseburger um okay so uh let's let's stop here uh Dvor, i'll send out the word about the
2: uh outside all right yeah. and everyone,
1: everyone. i spoke earlier in the week so uh